CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your DFS preview for this week's RBC Heritage. And joining me to break it all down as they do each and every Monday, Greg Ducharme is here. What up, Greg? What's going on? I hope everybody can keep uh, my, our job tonight is keep the energy up, right? This is another great tournament. Um, one of the great golf courses, another unique golf course out on the PGA tour. And, uh, we actually have a pretty good feel. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a little tired from last week. I'll be honest, but at the same time, I'm feeling great. Little, little masters hangover. You're absolutely right. This is a, I, I was looking at this field like Friday or Saturday or whatever. And I was like, wow, this is actually pretty decent, especially the week after a major. That is a testament to the course and to the event. It's an absolute staple on the calendar. And also rounding out our group for today, Sia Najad. Sia, welcome back. Good to have you. Yeah, Rick, I was thinking this tournament was going to be like a lot of obscure names that I was going to be picking and really having to like dig deep on, on the models and whatnot. But I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of good names at the top. And frankly, there's a lot of good names at the bottom, too. So I'm excited to talk about all of them. Yeah, there there, there really is. Before we jump into that, we're going to have to spend um, a bit of time on the course. It's one of the m- most unique courses that we get on the PGA Tour. But before that, remember that the pressure continues to mount as the world's top teams compete for soccer's most coveted trophy. The Champions League is down to the final eight, and you can stream every match live on Paramount Plus as they cut the field to four teams following this week's second leg of the quarterfinal stage. And I've heard there are actually picks out on the early edge feed right now for that stage. And you don't want to miss a minute of world-class soccer, including PSG versus Bayern Munich and Real Madrid versus Liverpool. Paramount Plus, it's live sports, it's breaking news, and a mountain of entertainment. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it for free. Gentlemen, Harbor Town. We we know this course. It is unique. Greg, you said that word. I said that word. I assume the reason that we are saying that word is because of how small these greens are, and then also these tree-lined fairways that really require you to be exact with not only your uh, your drives but also with your approach shots. That's right. Um, you you look at this golf course, and it, it's not just tree line. Augusta National is tree lined as well. There are a lot of tree lined golf courses on tour, but this one, the trees have a way of overhanging, which is uh, it's really cool. It make and there's a lot of dog legs as well. So dog legs and trees limit your line off the tee, and they create what's called target golf, where you have to hit the ball not as far as you can, but you have to hit it a specific distance into um, the proper spot in the dog leg to avoid getting blocked out. Now, everybody inevitably will get blocked out. So there's going to be some shot shaping involved and there's going to be some things like that, but you're working it to, to those really small targets that you mentioned, Rick. And, um, is this, this has got to be top two smallest greens, right? It's number, it's number two. two. Uh, so this is number 30, 30, yeah, Greg, you, that's why you are the professional, my friend. This is 30, <laughs> 3,700 square feet on average here at Harbor Town. Pebble is 3,500 square feet on average. The only course with smaller greens. Yeah, so it it uh, it creates a, a pretty cool test. And then the other thing that I like about it is you also have an element of of the water, right? You get out to Calabogie Sound when you get on 18, and there's a couple 17 starts to kind of get exposed. So you have a mixture of tree lined, really tight. You kind of feel claustrophobic, and then you get out to the sound, um, and there's some open, which exposes you to wind. And one thing last year that we saw was no wind, and and that was because it had a summer date. So we're going back to April this year. And I think you're going to see more windy conditions that produce winning scores that are more like what we're used to seeing, which is, you know, the 13, 14 under par winning score rather yeah. than what was web 22 under last 22 year. 22 under. Yeah. yeah. So it'll be, uh, it'll be good to watch. 
I'm Greg. Uh, I, I love exactly the way that you described this place because see, when I ran the model, when I, when I pulled up the course model on rickrungood.com, and I'm showing it right now, the two things that stood out to me or stood out to the numbers were that the players that have had the most success here over the years, they do two things really well. They drive the ball driving accuracy. In fact, there's only three courses on the PGA tour where driving accuracy was more important. And then driving distance, there was only six courses on the PGA tour where driving distance is more important. And off the bat, those two things don't reconcile because usually the longer drivers of the golf ball are less accurate and vice versa. But here at Harbor town, exactly what Greg describes tends to happen where you have to be in the fairway. You not only have to be in the fairway, you have to be in the correct portion of the fairway. And a lot of guys are going to be hitting their second shots from the same spot. So that's where driving distance comes into play. The guys that hit it further usually have shorter clubs in from similar locations. So it's kind of like it, it, it messes with your brain to try to think about what type of player could have success here. But I think Greg described well, and I think the model backs it up. Yeah. And I think if you're going to wait one over the other, in my opinion, it's going to be that driving accuracy because you are trying to strategically matriculate this golf ball into the cup, if you will, and making sure you're in the right part of the fairway to, you know, hook up your approach to the greens, to the small green at that. So my emphasis is going to be, as far as off the tee is concerned, my emphasis is going to be on accuracy. And I'll tell you, in my model, I'm going to have a heavy weight on approach, as you might expect. As I would expect. Now, looking at some of the players that would fit that mold and we're going to go through them but in terms of uh driving accuracy on the pga tour i'm looking at the last 50 rounds see and you can tell me if if you'd rather go shorter if you'd rather go a bit longer but brendan todd is actually the number one player on tour in the last 50 rounds for all of these golfers hits nearly 75 percent of his fairways and then these are names that we would come to expect right these are very much the mold of golfers that w- would would uh have success at harbor town i'm talking about brian stewart ryan Armor, Sung JM, Jim Furyk, and then Colin Morikawa rounding out the top six. Yeah, which, by the way, makes it kind of exciting, right? Because everybody's in play. And, and, and from a DFS and from a betting standpoint, I mean, you can afford to take, you know, put a couple bucks on, you know, a guy that's 150 to one or 100 to one or even 200 to one, something like that. As I look at that list, I mean, you're right. Brandon Todd and Brian Stewart, even Ryan Armour, now that I think about it, they're going to be good course fits here relative to some of the other courses. With that said, I, I'm not in love with, you know, Brandon Todd, for example. I am a Brandon Todd fan. I'm not in love with his game lately, maybe since January. But as I look down that list, I mean, Colin Morikawa, uh, Corey Connors, Abraham Answer, these are all guys that I'm definitely going to be looking at. I see Webb Simpson on that list. Uh, Michael Thompson, who, who you know is a guy that I'm, I'm always on in that lower range. So there's plenty of guys on this list that I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of. And then the other thing is, Greg, glad to have you back here. The yeah, other sorry thing, about that, guys. No, it's quite all right. The other thing is, uh, this is a Pete Dye course. So, you know, uh, Greg, there are unique aspects of Pete Dye courses. There are, are there are guys that t- t- tend to play well at these designs, uh, you know, week in and week out when we get to them. And it is a par 71. So, I mean, you, you lump all this together. This is like unique aspect here, unique aspect there. Unique, it's like, I, I love this place. Yeah, Pete Dye offers um, an interesting kind of perspective, and and I, I do think that to some degree experience can be important because of what he tries to do. You can gather experience quicker at a venue like this than you can at say Augusta National or something like that. Because part of this, part of the thing with Pete Dye is how visually intimidating his golf courses are. So the fairways will have a ton of movement to them, and it will look like you can't hit it in this place when you have to hit it in this place and where you want to hit it doesn't look very friendly from the tee box, um, especially at a place where it's very, it's very flat here. So you can't see a lot of these landing areas and you can see some of the penalty areas. You can see the trees, you can see all that stuff. So that adds to the, the element and some guys don't have a problem with it and they can play that target style golf that Pete Dye requires. And there are other guys that really struggle with it and, uh, and, and they're not particularly fond of it. We're going to look at the cheat sheet. We're going to go through the tiers as we normally do. But see, while we're talking about Pete Dye courses, what I've pulled up is the last six years, all the strokes gain data for Pete Dye courses. And there's one guy who's played 47 rounds who is head and shoulders above the rest of the field at Pete Dye courses. And he is someone that burned us all last week. It is Patrick Cantlay. Can you stomach? Can you stomach going back to Patrick Cantlay at this point? Well, first of all, you, you ran that for the last six years. I'll 
tell you because I've been on this very page and I just ran it since uh, I guess it was January 2020. And for the record, for those of you that want to know, he still rates out really high. I think I'm looking yeah. at it right now. He's like number six on the on the model on Pete Dye courses. So the answer to your question is, yes, I can stomach it. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be the guy that's going to be all in on Cantlay, but I'm going to have him in some lineups. I mean, if you look at his track record here, it's really outstanding. And beyond that, listen, everybody's entitled to a bad couple of rounds of golf, even Patrick Cantlay, even Dustin Johnson, even some of these studs that missed the cut at the Masters. So, yeah, I, I'm OK with Patrick Cantlay. I mean, he rates out well on Pete Dye. If you, if you if you take off a Pete Dye filter, if you will, he's still going to rate out well on approach off the tee around the green. All of these metrics that we always rely on. I mean, are you going to get an ownership discount? You know, these days, DFS players are a little bit more sophisticated. So you're you're people are going to be on Cantlay to some degree, but it's not nearly going to be what it would have been if Cantlay made the cut last week, nearly made the cut. And it feels different because he played so poorly. Like he was never in it. You know what I mean? So I feel like there yeah. are going to be some jaded, um, some jaded owners of, of Patrick Cantlay compared to like a Dustin Johnson who played fine, made a couple of bogeys late, misses the cut. And that's all she wrote. But let's talk about that 10 K range, Greg. It is led by Dustin Johnson. He's 11,600. Patrick Cantlay is 10, nine, our defending champion Webb Simpson at 10,700 Colin Morikawa at 10,500. Here's a name I didn't think I was going to say. Cameron Smith is 10,200 and Daniel Berger is an even 10,000. I've got questions here, but we'll start with this one, Greg. Who in this 10K range are you most excited about? Oh, man. Um, So (laughs) this is a tough one because there's questions about all of them and you you love all of them. But at the same time, I kind of feel like everybody in this range is a little bit overpriced. Uh, And I feel like it's a little bit of a stretch. Cantlay, if you take out last week, looks great. I mean, you'd be circling him three times, but he shot 79 in the first round. And as you said, Rick, he burned he burned many of us (laughs) because it wasn't expected. But it was last week. Missing the cut wasn't expected for a reason. And it's important to remember that. So I think Sia brings up a great point. It's okay for a guy to have a bad round. And, he, and I, he, you could call it one bad round. Shooting 73 at Augusta isn't necessarily a bad round. He has also played here three times and he has finished yeah. third, seventh, and third. So it's like, yeah. if you're willing to forgive, forgive quickly because this feels like a really good spot again. If you talk to his coach, Jamie Mulligan, he's um, kind of a class. He's, he's got some, he's like a modern classic in a way where he is he's modern in the fact that he hits it a really long way and many of his strategy he he has a very modern looking golf swing but at the same time he likes to move the ball against the wind and create all these shots and hit it high and low and and he's he's what his coach classifies as a shot maker and a shot maker can do really well around here because there are so many opportunities and you're so required to move the ball around the one thing is that augusta national is a shot maker's golf of course, too. So it, it is um, it, it's quite interesting. I think Cantlay is worth the risk in a lot of cases. So he's still kind of in the DFS game theory strategy. I think he's a good play. Um, I, I think Cameron Smith is playing great. I was hoping he was going to be around nine, nine or nine, eight this week because he's, yeah. he's, he's been playing so well lately. He's got a great short game and he's great uh, on the greens, which bodes well here. There, the, when greens get really small, guys miss a lot of greens. So short game becomes very important. And he's just confident right now. He what was I think it was tied 10th last week. Um, and, and he's just been continuing the great form that we've seen from him for quite some time. Let's let's mine into Cam Smith. This was the most interesting thing to me, Sia, when the pricing came out, because what I'm showing right now. So what I have here on rickrungood.com is I have the last four years of DFS data of their prices of how many fantasy points they've scored, all that good stuff. And um, Cam Smith has never been more expensive than ninety eight hundred. That was the twenty nineteen Sanderson Farms. We are in uncharted territory for Cam Smith. And it is not that it is. Not deserved, Sia. Greg's absolutely right. He finishes 10th at, at, at the Masters, 17th at the Players, 11th at the WGC. But when you compare this and try to reconcile it with his odds for the week, uh, he's like ele- he has like the 11th shortest odds, but the fifth most expensive price. How do I, how do I balance these things? Yeah, this doesn't really make any sense. I mean, I, I just sometimes I see a price like this and I'm, I'm wondering if somebody's trying to tell me something like Cam Smith <laughs> is the play because I mean, by the way, his his strokes gain metrics, you know, they're not great. OK, certainly not relative some, to some of the guys around him. And by the way, his course history here is 
I don't know. I, I'd go as far to say as it's kind of bad. I mean, two missed cuts in a row and then a 32 and a 29 in the last four years. I mean, that's not really te- painting a picture of a guy that I'm going to entrust with this kind of price tag. I mean, I, I'd prefer the guys around him, frankly. I was excited think- to play him at like 8,900, Greg. Like I was yeah. very excited yeah. for that. I was just so shocked to see him come in at 10 2. I'm, I look at his numbers for the year and I am I'm surprised by them. The strokes game metrics that Sia mentioned, because mm-hmm. you see all these great results and you see his name pop up on leaderboards and you see him hitting great shots. Yet he's 125th off the tee. He's 75th approaching the green, uh, 57th tee to green. And you realize that he kind of gets it done around the green. He's 24th putting. He's 16th. And it's an unreliable um, it's an unreliable statistical makeup yet at the same time, it's yielding very consistent results. So I think camp Smith kind of leaves those of us who analyze with numbers and data. It, it leaves us puzzled in a way. Uh, that is certainly uh, a, a statement that I would agree with considering the fact that Daniel Berger's cheaper. We can jump down. Oh, well, let's, hold on. Let's stay here in the 10 K range for a second. I mean, Daniel Berger is a flat $10,000. He's another guy coming off a miscut at the masters. See, I listen, you know, it's, it's easy to make the cut at the masters. It is because it's a smaller field and more guys get through, but it's also can be difficult because the margins are so small. How many times over the course of the week did we see a, a really good shot that if it was 12 inches further in one direction, it'd be next to the pin, but because it was where it is, it, it rolls 30 yards down into the fair. I mean, the margins are so small. So are we just kind of taking a blanket and saying, if you miss the cut at the masters, it's okay. We're, we're, we're ready to buy back in or does it matter how they did it? It matters a little bit how they did it. It's funny for me to say that because I just said I'd probably jump right back on Patrick Cantlay. <laughs> but a guy who missed the cut, Daniel Berger, who I like a little bit better than Patrick Cantlay for a couple different reasons. I mean, if we look at how Daniel Berger missed the cut, it, it was really putting. I mean, he 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 dropped a few strokes putting in those first two rounds. And I think that really was the difference for him. So he's normally a really good putter. So I don't really have a problem with him missing the cut last week. I think his approach numbers were actually pretty decent. So with, with that said, I, I'm I'm fine with Daniel Berger. I, I'm okay with Patrick Cantlay, but I like Berger a little bit better if we're going to rate the guys who missed the cut last week. I mean, I guess we haven't talked a lot about DJ, but um, I, I do like those two guys. And I'll tell you, I like Webb Simpson um, quite a bit as well. Yeah, so I think, I think Webb's hard to go away from. But are mm-hmm. you guys are you, I like Berger too? But are we concerned at all with his injury, or do you think last week was all simply just a, a putting issue? Is are the ribs a concern at all for either of you guys? They're not to me, particularly because match play they didn't seem like a concern either. I mean, he played really, really well in match play. He didn't go as far as he could have. But if if I was yeah. going to see a problem with the ribs, I think it would have been at match play. I think I agree with that. Um, the yeah. the strokes gain numbers that we might reference for the Masters are certainly not official. The Masters does not release those. They do not share them with the PGA Tour, but we are able to take the shot-by-shot data and give some really good calculated estimates. So I, I agree, Sia. I have Daniel Berger on my site losing three strokes putting at the Masters, which would have been his worst putting performance since the 2019 Houston Open. So that would have been a pretty big outlier for Daniel Berger. Let's talk. Let's circle back and talk about those big boys because I feel like we didn't do a, enough enough justice there, Greg. I mean, we've got Dustin Johnson at 11,600. He missed the cut. He didn't get out of his group at the match play. He didn't play all that well at the players. He didn't play all that well at the WGC workday, and he has not uh, finished inside the top 15 in his last three trips to this event, and unfortunately, we really only rate Dustin Johnson for super high finishes, so what do we do with this guy who is seemingly not in all that great a form? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think Dustin Johnson, you know, I've been noticing a lot more emotion out of him lately ever since last year. Um, I guess we're we're kind of still a ways away from that being a year out, but maybe six months out past six months. I've been seeing a little more emotion, a little more fight in him. It looks like he cares a little bit more. It, it just outwardly he's showing that a little bit. But I think that right now is turning into frustration. Um, and especially on the greens last week, he had six, three putts, which is just, it, it's just way too many. And that's what led him ultimately to miss the cut. Yeah, well, I think he's 148th in strokes game putting on yeah. the year this year. So he, he, you, you remember the win in Saudi Arabia and he putted terribly. I mean, coach was on and he said it was an embarrassing performance on the greens. <laughs> that was the word that he used. And, you know, it, it's, 
pretty accurate. I mean, he didn't make anything and won in spite of it. Um, so I, I look at what Dustin Johnson is doing this year and I'm starting to see a little frustration and now I'm seeing him go to a course that, um, that, that isn't kind of, it doesn't really fit his style. I don't think it's a course he likes, even though it's in his home state of South Carolina. And so I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a fade on DJ. You think it's just a sponsorship obligation? I mean, he's got to show up here. He's an RBC guy. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely has something to do with it. His record wouldn't indicate that he'd be playing the week after, right. um, the week after the Masters. Uh, it, it's not like a place where he he loves it. Maybe Travelers the week after U.S. Open. Um, I think that would be a place he may be really interested in going to. Maybe, but you know there aren't many the week after a major that you're itching to go play. So I do think it definitely has something to do with the sponsorship statistically this would be the first year that he's lost strokes putting in like his last six or seven years. So the numbers bear out what Greg is seeing and then see a, you know, Webb Simpson, we gloss over him just because I'm assuming there's nothing but positives to say about him. Like, I mean, this is, this is the perfect course for him. He's had plenty of, of success. He is the defending champion. He's coming off uh, another great finish at the masters. Like, I, I, I just glossed over him because I figured everybody loves Webb this week. You're right. And, and it's almost the opposite of what you see with DJ right now, other than the fact that he's also, an RBC Heritage sponsored guy, but probably kind of enjoys and thrives in it maybe more than a DJ does. So yeah, I like Webb Simpson a lot. I mean, there's not really a bad thing to say about him. His form was a little checkered at the beginning of the year, but it looks like he's rounded into form. So yeah, all aboard Webb for sure. So are you guys seeing, are you guys with just uh, real quick on Webb, the one question I would have on him is the, the drop in the strokes gain approach number where last year he was, uh, he was top he was either fifth or sixth last year. He was sixth last year. And then this year it's up to 84th, which to me is the difference in a guy that's contending to win every week. And a guy that's not winning, not necessarily playing terrible. It's not a horrible number. Do you think that's more from earlier in the year when he was struggling a little bit? Do you, are you seeing that number kind of uh, climb up and he's recently improved with the irons or what do you guys think? Well, we can answer that question. So let's see what Webb is up to because Greg is absolutely right. This would be uh, his worst approach season. I mean, since I have in my database, which goes back to 2016 for approach numbers. Now he's been a little bit better around the greens, which kind of makes sense. But what is he doing recently? Well, uh, he did not strike it all that well at the Players' Championship. He lost three strokes on approach there. But again, these are match play numbers and these are unofficial Masters numbers. He's looked really good in those two events. So three of his last four starts, Greg, have been a little bit better. But you're right. Dating back to the the end of 2020, it was it was very unweb esque, where he had a stretch of golf from the Tour Championship to I'll even say waste management, where he didn't look like himself. So I think right. it's getting a little bit better. But I don't know if we've deter if you know if if we say hey three out of four is good enough for us to say he's back. Well, you pair in the right direction. Go ahead. Exactly. You, you, well, no, I was going to say that you pair with the, you pair that with the fact that he is trending in the right direction, but also that his course form here is excellent. First right. last year, the defending champion, then 16th, fifth before that, 11th before that. So he's clearly comfortable here. He's got the, he's got the right game for this particular course. And those approach numbers, three out of the last four. I mean, those, those were pretty good numbers on approach. They certainly were. Let's pop down to the $9,000 range. This is my favorite. I, I love this. I love this range. Everybody here, essentially. Will Zaltoris, 9,700. Terrell Hatton, 95. Corey Connors, 93. Paul Casey, 92. Matt Fitzpatrick, 91. And Sung J M a flat $9,000. Greg, let's start with Will Zaltoris, who um, just doesn't stop. He just does yeah. not stop. He's $9,700. He goes out. He finishes runner-up at the uh, at the Masters. Now, I do have a little bit of a concern because I want to tie this back into something that you had said earlier in the show about how, how like, you know, the overhanging tree situation. And if there is any flaw in Will Zalatoris' game, it's that he sprays it off the tee. Now, he hits it far enough to get away with it, and he has a great uh, approach play, but he's 161st in driving accuracy. He hits less than 56% of his fairways. I'm nervous about that. I understand your concern, Rick, but when you combine a guy that has distance like he does, 22nd yeah. now in driving distance, hits it uh, over 307 yards. He, he's a long hitter and he's hitting a very low percentage of fairways. But <laughs> there's a correlation there because the, he's he's now hitting drivers and when you come when you look at a guy who's fifth in strokes gain approach the green yeah. that's a player who can be accurate 
It's just that he's not when he's hitting a driver, his concern is an accuracy. So he's mm-hmm. 25th strokes gain off the tee. So their their strategy, and I say there, he works with the guys at Decade Golf, and they, yes. they right they have this um, this strategy that is extremely aggressive. And I mean, look, this the strategy works. It's the modern day game of golf where you go for it, right? You hit driver, you get yourself as close as you can, you give yourself all the opportunities, and you saw him play that way at hole number three this week, um, and every hole this week but accuracy isn't their primary focus you get to Mm -hmm. a week like this and it asks you for accuracy it demands accuracy and i think they're going to come up with a strategy that works and maybe a little bit of a different strategy and i don't think it plays away from his advantage the way it would have for bryson if he were in the field or the way it does for dj because he's still he's such a strong iron player he's just got to get the ball in play and and then i think he can have at it I think this is the right take. I think you're absolutely right about this. I think that they, he has leaned so much into the strokes gain numbers and what the best thing to do is. And it's why his strokes gained off the T number. He's 25th. This is the perfect illustration of how, how strokes gained off the T works. He's 161st in driving accuracy, but he is 22nd in driving distance. That is why he is 25th in strokes gained off the T because he makes it up there. And it's not like he's going to take that same mentality and that same strategy to every single golf course. He's going to be standing on the T boxes at, at Harbor town and like, well, I, I've got a different strategy this week. I think that is 100%, Greg. I, I, I love it. Um, if you're fifth approach the green, you're accurate. You can, yeah. you can hit the ball where you're looking. It's just a matter of, is that your priority? Is the fairway your priority? The fairway isn't always your target when you're hitting with a driver, uh, especially with all these courses where the rough is low. It's not always your target. So I, I think that that is by design. And I think he is a really accurate ball striker. I love it. Uh, there are two other names in this 9K range that I'm most excited about, Sia, but I'm not ready to reveal them yet. I want you to reveal yours first. So there's, I have a feeling I know what one of yours is, but I'll tell you, I, um, by the way, that Will Zalatoris take was really good and it kind of changed my mind. So, I, cause I was going to be off Will Zalatoris. Now at least I have somebody to blame Greg if, if yeah, uh, he crashes. There you go. So That's right. Thank I'm you ha- for happy. that. You can put that blame on me. <laughs> no problem at all. So a couple guys that I like, I mean, I wasn't really on Paul Casey last week, but I, I do like him this week and I do think he's a good course fit. He's good on Pete Dye courses as well. So I, Casey's a guy I'm going to be on. And speaking of ball strikers, a guy that's just going to land it in the fairway, probably where he should. And a guy who's great on approach might have a little bit of a shaky short game is Corey Connors. Those are the two guys I like the most. Honestly, when you said, Rick, you were going to, you loved this 9K range. I got to be honest, I'm not super in love with it. And the lineups I built i actually did a couple with like two 10k guys and then i went straight to the 8k's um high 7k low 7k range that that was just my immediate preference the only other guy i think i like here that has a ton of upside and had a really good sunday yesterday and a guy i've been on a lot but hasn't really paid off is terrell hatton i think that's a guy i said it last week i said terrell hatton is a guy that if you roster him in the masters he can go out and win you a gpp because he has that upside he didn't exactly do that but he did okay and i think he's a guy that might actually um, be in the same situation this week in terms of potentially winning you a GPP. All right. You hit the two. So Hatton, Hatton is a guy who, um, his 18th last week was his best finish at the masters. And he did it kind of flying up the leaderboard on the weekends. You know, that place has been kryptonite for him. So the fact that he had his best result, I think is a good positive takeaway. And he finished third here last year, but let's do the Paul Casey thing, Greg, because here's what, here's what I see. I've got the round by round strokes gain data up here. And again, these are estimates, but they are very strong. This is exactly how we would calculate strokes gain numbers. I have him losing over the first three rounds of the masters about three and a half strokes putting. And I don't know if you noticed this, Greg, but on Sunday he came out and he putted left hand low and he gained two and a half shots on the field. Now I know these guys are quirky and they try things and I have no idea what, what type of putting grip he is going to be using this time around. But if I just gained two and a half strokes on Sunday on the greens at the masters and shot one of the lowest rounds of the day, I'd probably go forward with that. I understand what you're saying. Um, that's, that's that's what Greg says before he tells me I'm wrong. <laughs> no, I don't think you're wrong. I can't say you're wrong. I, it, it's th- There's nothing to say you're wrong here. It just, it worries me because there's two ways to look at a change in putting. Um, when it's before an event, it's something, and you've had, maybe had some time off. It's okay. Like Tony Fina is a perfect example. He went from the left-hand low or uh, from the claw, which he was using prior, went to left-hand low for masters. Okay, well, they've been 
they've been figuring something out. That's what it tells me anyway. Uh, without speaking to anybody, they've been practicing and they figured out that left-hand low works better. When you change mid-tournament, it's like, I just got to do something different. Yep. Right. And and it's not as calculated. It doesn't, at least it doesn't appear to be as calculated. And it, that's what you do when you're, when you're desperate. And sometimes it can light a spark, but it doesn't always last. And that's my concern. Now, the, the positive on Paul Casey is how well he's been striking it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I wonder, he hasn't played too much golf, but I just wonder if this is a, an exhale week for him. I felt like there was a lot of buzz, a lot of hype about Paul Casey heading into masters. Um, and, and his game was in the form where it could deliver the putting didn't deliver. So he, he didn't have himself. And I just wonder if he's kind of taken an exhale this week. And, um, I, I hope that's not the case. Cause I, I want to like him, but I just kind of have that concern. Like the, this was a, this past week was a, a peaking week for him. He was trying to peak and it, it just came up a little bit short and we may have a little bit of a lull before he gets kind of, it kind of gets going for uh, PGA. Look at this. Look at this headshot I have of Paul Casey. That is a sly smile. He knows <laughs> yeah. something's coming yeah. this week, yeah. doesn't Are, it? Doesn't it look like he me? knows something? Right. Oh Am my I gosh. Go left hand low. Right. That's exactly standard. what I'm thinking. I'm Maybe exactly claw. what I could oh, go claw. Don't do the call, Paul. Just <laughs> just go left hands low. Um, the rest of this nine K range, Sia, you said you didn't like it as much. So I I don't know. I mean, it's this isn't really like the ball strikers. Well, I mean, I guess you get Zal Torres, Hatton, Connors, Casey, Matt Fitzpatrick, who kind of does it in a different way, but he's been much better. As much as I love Sung Jay, probably not going to do it for me this week. We've been watching those irons really kind of fall apart for a month or two now. So I'll, we'll figure out Sung Jay later, but is there anybody else we should talk about here in this nine K range before I move us down to the eight? I mean, the only guy that I'd really consider here is Matthew Fitzpatrick, particularly on this coastal course. If the wind picks up, we know Fitzpatrick is good in, in difficult conditions. Um, you know, that that's a guy that's probably third or fourth on my list in the nine K range. Um, but I have no problem with him. That would be the only other guy I'd touch on. I might okay. put him a little higher on my list. I think Fitzpatrick's playing great, and I think it's a really good fit for him. A, a place that kind of demands accuracy, where Augusta National does not demand accurate. It, it demands accuracy in a different way. Uh, it, it favors distance a little bit more, I would say. So it doesn't necessarily fit his game, and especially favors trajectory. This place, you can hit it a little bit lower, and it's actually welcomed. So I, I look at Fitzpatrick, who's in great form, 34th last week, Mm-hmm. Um, ninth at the players, 10th at the API, 11th at the workday. Those courses are somewhat similar to this. And I'm, I'm thinking Fitzpatrick's uh, having a great year. And I think this is a, a, a perfect golf course for him. I think I agree with that. I like Fitzpatrick uh, quite a bit. He's playing well. He's playing well. He's doing it. Okay, we're going to do it. We're going to go down to the $8,000 range. We're going to find value. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. March Madness and the Masters may be over, but the sports calendar never sleeps. The NHL trade deadline, daily NBA, NHL and MLB action. We've got the RBC Heritage Tournament, NFL Draft News and Rumors, UEFA quarterfinals. I could go on and on. And you're home to stay in the know for all of it. It's CBS Sports HQ. CBS Sports HQ is the only CBS, nope, the only sports news streaming service that's completely free. How to watch CBS Sports HQ? It's easy. It's available 
available for free on your computer, your mobile device, or your connected TV via the CBS Sports app. Or if you're more of a YouTube person, subscribe to CBS Sports HQ on YouTube for all the latest sports news videos on demand. But personally, I never, ever miss a big story in sports because I turn it on first thing in the morning and I leave it on all day long while I'm working. And I'll leave you with this. If you're a sports news junkie like me, no sports network is faster with breaking news than CBS Sports HQ. Greg, that's true. Something happens in the world of golf. We get a call. We get a text right away. We're going on HQ. They're the fastest. Let's go. We need you. uh, Can you be ready in three minutes? Does that give you enough (laughs) time? I say give me five. They say no. Four. Okay, I'll be there in one. Right. Exactly. They say they they know right now. I'll call you. (laughs) I'll call you Uh, $8,000 range. Sia. It is led by a man that I think is going to be very popular this week. His name is Abraham answer, Tommy Fleetwood, Brian Harmon at the top. And it goes down to Kevin Na and Matt Kuchar. It's a fairly, fairly short, a fairly small tier, but of these golfers who do you like the most? Yeah, you mentioned ball strikers in that 9K range. I mean, there's plenty of them in this 8K range, too. And it starts with Abraham Answer, who's who's striking the ball really well and who, by the way, finished second here last year. So Abraham okay. Answer's a great play. And, and, and also, if you run uh, now, if you just run the Pete Dye filter on, again on, on Rick Run Good, just to back to January 1st of 2020. He's going to be somewhere in that top 10 in terms of, and by the way, the other two guys I like are, are really good on Pete Dye courses too. And that is Brian Harmon. That, that's another one who I think is a good course fit for this particular course. And a guy who, who missed the cut last week, Sergio Garcia, he frustrated a lot of people, but I'm not going to come off of him just because of that. I understand the putter is a big issue with Sergio Garcia, but the ball striking is there and the course history here in particular with the fifth place last year is also there. Pete Dye dating back to January 1st of 2021. Brian Harmon, the best in the field. He's played 12 rounds. He's getting 2.6 strokes uh, per round. That includes the match play data as well. Greg, that's got to be music to your ears. A Brian Harmon reference on the pod, and you didn't even have to bring him up. Yeah. um, Look, the guy is playing great golf right now. I wonder what the emotions of last week was like. Um, I'm sure he's a little disappointed with 74, 74 over the weekend, but at the same time, a tied 12th at the masters is a, is a great finish. Um, And it's his best finish there. So he's got to be really confident. And then you, you back that up with his T five at the match play um, where he made eight birdies in a row to get into the masters and, and the T three at the players before that. This golf course and the American Express, by the way, another Pete Dye course, T8 earlier in the year. So, That's yeah, right. I, I can totally understand where where your numbers come from. And I think Brian Harmon fits this place perfectly. Distance isn't his strong suit. It's not his asset. It's not what he leans on. And he leans on accuracy. He's really good at getting the ball in play. Um, and, and that's something, and he's, he's a Georgia guy, right? So he's not from, uh, from far from here. So I I think, I think it's a really good fit for him. Six, seven, eight, nine. I'm counting the straight events that Brian Harmon has gained strokes off the tee. I'm going to give him nine. Technically he lost strokes in Phoenix, but he lost 0.06. I'm going to give him that one. We're going to say nine in a row off the tee, which is kind of surprising considering we know he's not a long hitter of the golf ball. So that means He's finding a lot of short grass. Uh, the rest of this, what are we in? $8,000 range here. See ya. Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, I still have a lot of questions about the putter. I still have a lot of questions about the way he hits the driver, but we're starting to see an iron resurgence from him. Uh, Kevin Na is a bit streaky down at the bottom of this tier. Matt Kuchar has great course history. Anybody else that we should be touching on as a possible play or fade for this week? I mean, I don't have a problem with with Matt Kuchar or Kevin Na. I don't think I'm going to be rostering them, but I got to admit, the way Kuchar's playing and, the, and his success on this particular course, I mean, it, yeah. it's a nice price for him. Uh, Fleetwood is one of those guys that he probably won't be super high owned, uh, but he is starting to emerge as the Fleetwood that we saw a couple of years ago or a year and a half ago, as opposed to the Fleetwood we've been seeing the last six months or so. Uh, and his course history here, it, he doesn't have much by way of course history, but I believe it was two years ago, yeah, in 2019, a 25th place finish you know, not terrible. I don't mind Fleetwood, but again, it's going to be the way I would rate this 8K range. It's probably going to be answer Harmon and then Sergio. Matt Kuchar is a flat 8,000 to put a bow on this. So his course history, I mean, 10 consecutive years, I think he's actually up to like, 
I want to say 16 cuts in a row, something, something pretty crazy, but he's made at least 10 in a row. He's had a runner up finish in, in 2019. He has that 11th place finish in 17, a ninth the year before a fifth, the year prior to that. No, by the way, just went out and won this thing in 2014 as well. Greg, when you look at the rest of this $8,000 range, I was mentioning some of those names there. Maybe we'll throw Billy Horschel into the mix. Maybe we'll throw Lee Westwood into the mix. We can throw Harris English into the mix. Is there anybody else here that we should be considering? Well, just to give you an idea on Matt Kuchar, just to circle back there, um, 2003 was the last time he missed a cut here. I knew it was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually 16 in a row. So he he missed his cut in the very first attempt. That's right. And he's made every single cut since. It's amazing. It's amazing to look at. And I'm, I'm a little bit interested in him. I know he had a really tough go of it on Thursday at the Masters, as many players did. He shot 78. Um, It came back nicely with a 70. But when it gets windy and firm and fast like that for a Matt Kuchar at a, at a big golf course like Augusta National playing, I mean, Thursday was the hardest day by far. And it just kind of got away from him. So I kind of like Cantlay, I, I feel much better about him because the price is so much softer and I can take a flyer on him. And all of a sudden you get a guy who came in before the masters tied 12th at Valero, Texas open and had that great run at the match play and was feeling very, very confident. The only concern with Kuchar is that he's kind of played a lot of golf in a row here. Um, so maybe the miscut last week was a, was a good thing, a bonus um, to avoid walking up and down those, those uh, slopes at Augusta national for two more days. So I, I think that was a good thing. I think Kuchar's going to have a really good week. The only other thing I wanted to point out in this range that I hate to pick on Harris English, cause I'm such a big fan, but there is something happening since his victory uh, at the tournament of champions. So if we just go and do this gentlemen, so I've got the field loaded in here. And I'm just sorting this by uh, strokes gain total since essentially his victory. So after his victory, and I'm sorting this by DraftKings price, he is the only golfer uh, basically above $7,700 that is losing strokes to the field in that range. See, it is, it is really ugly. If you flip this the other way and you look at only the golfers that have been worse than him, they're all priced $6,900 or less. So you're talking about a Harris English that is checking in at $8,400 and not playing well. That's true, but but correct me if I'm wrong, but the last couple of tournaments, I mean, Harris English has sort of returned to some form. Am I right? I mean, it's definitely better than what he did immediately after he uh, he won, which was miss every single cut. He finished 26th at the API. He didn't get out of his group stage in match play and he finished 21st at the Masters. Yeah, not great. But I mean, it, relative to all the miscuts he was having before that, I mean, I think we we might be seeing an upward trend. And if that's the case, you know, maybe you're getting a bargain there. I think that's like a, a guy that I'm not going to have a lot of. But if you want to have a flyer on Harris English, I, mean, I think it makes a little bit of sense. The $7,000 range kicked off by Russell Henley and Pete Dye specialist Siwoo Kim. Bobby McIntyre, who's on a stretch of golf right now, 7,800, goes all the way down to our friends, Sepp Straka, Mackenzie Hughes, and Harry Higgs. Greg, what are you parsing out of the $7,000 range? Well, Ru- Russell Henley was a guy I was kind of disappointed he wasn't in the Masters. Yeah, um, I was really looking forward to seeing. I-, I thought he would have a great run at Masters. He's sixth on tour for the year. Strokes gain approach the green. Um, and he is very accurate off the tee as well. It's 67 percent of his fairways, which is 20th. He's eighth in greens of regulation, um, which which is great. And the recent form is. I would say strong. He nearly got out of his group at the match play, but didn't. He was tied third at the Honda. Um, and he, he did miss the cut at the players, but he's had some really nice finishes this year. Tied 11th at the Sony. Uh, tied he had, he had those back-to-back weeks at the CJ Cup and Zozo where he was tied third and tied fourth, um, respectively. So I, I'm looking at Russell Henley, and I'm, I'm thinking this is – this should be a good week for him uh, after the week off last week. He he should come in here ready to go. And I would say he's my favorite in this range. Since the start of 2020, so January 1st, 2020, not 2021. We're talking about a year and four months. Russell Henley is the best player on tour in strokes gained approach. He's averaging one stroke gained on approach per round in 86 rounds. I guess technically there are a few guys that are better, but none of them have played more than 
five rounds. So I'm going to give, I'm going to give Russell Henley the nod here for sample size purposes. He's absolutely the best. He's better than more cow. I mean, he's better than everybody, better than everybody. See ya. The seven K range. Uh, I'm also somewhat interested in Russell Henley. I'm somewhat interested in Robert McIntyre. Who's got a couple of great finishes in a row, including his 12th place finish at the masters last week. Who else here? Because I see a former champion in Brandon grace. I see Kevin Kisner who should be a good fit. What else here? Well, first of all, I'm a little confused. Adam Hadwin is in this range and Greg didn't even mention his name. What's going on? Not yet. Oh, yeah. not yet. Okay, we'll circle back. <laughs> we'll circle back. So I won't say his name. Uh, okay, so Siwoo Kim, it's interesting because his course history here the last couple of years, I mean, a couple of missed cuts. So as a quote, Pete Dye specialist, I mean, you'd think he'd have a little bit better of a track record here, but I do like him. And, you know, when I ran the last 36 rounds off the tee approach around the green, Siwoo Kim rated out really well in all three of those categories. Again, just the last 36 rounds, a smaller sample size, but um, I think Siwoo is a, a pretty good play. I'm always on, especially on a course like this. I'm always on a guy like Chris Kirk. I think he's actually just a touch underpriced, and I think he's starting to emerge. I think Kevin Streelman is a great course fit. He's got good course history here as well. The type of guy that will just plot smartly, intelligently down the course. Uh, and so uh, I think he's a good play. And I'll skip right over Hadwin, but uh, Lucas Glover. Lucas Glover has made a lot of cuts. I mean, I think he's made like seven out of eight cuts, and he's got a, he's got a couple tournaments with some major upside. I mean, recently, I think he had a fourth place finish at Mayakova, which of course was late last year. I think he had a fifth place finish. So he's the type of guy that's making cuts and he's giving you enough upside to justify saying, hey, this is a value play at this price. Chris Kirk is a name that I had circled. You know, where I, I try to reconcile guys that played and didn't play last week. You know, we could argue not playing last week might have been a nice reprieve, a week off. Chris Kirk, who's, you know, coming in off a, a sixth at, at Valero and an eighth at API, a couple starts prior to that. That like it might be a good thing. And then I try to reconcile that, Greg, with guys like Ian Poulter, who played well, almost top 25 the Masters. He's played here uh, a, a bunch. And in his last four, he hasn't finished worse than 14th. I start to wonder where, you know, the, the, the tired legs start to come out for some of these older guys. But th these are the questions I'm asking myself in this $7,000 range. Yeah. Poulter is an interesting case here because, um, Ian Poulter didn't play the Valero Texas open. Um, and so he had, he played the match play and he didn't go as far as we expected. He ran into Scotty Scheffler a little earlier. So it's not like he played, you know, seven rounds of golf there and then went to play the uh, Valero and then, and then went to play the masters. He, he didn't really have that stretch. So I, I'm not too worried about, um, about his, um, fatigue factor. I, I okay. think, I think Ian Poulter is going to come in in really nice form. This is a very typical schedule for him to play. Mm -hmm. And I really like what I've seen out of him. He's putting really well. He's clearly focused. And, and this is a course where it's a little bit of a, um, it's a little bit of a breather for a guy like Ian Poulter, who's not the longest player. It, and it's a breather in the fact that you don't have to, you don't feel like you're constantly fighting an uphill battle against some of these longer hitters. Distance is almost taken out of the equation. So a more accurate player like Ian Poulter, um, a guy who's a really good putter like Ian Poulter can get into that competitive flow. They feel like he's going to feel like he really has a chance out here. And I like that for him. So I, I think Ian Poulter is motivated right now. I think the match play performance motivated him and he's in really good form. So I like him. And of course, I, I think uh, Adam Hadwin is due at some point soon here for a win. Um, and his course history is. here, his course history would say that it, clearly this is the place. T41 last year, T48 the year before that, and yeah, T22. Yeah. Before that, <laughs> we know the guys who, who turn their T40s year over year into wins. That happens all the <laughs> yep. time. I'm convinced, Greg, you have been hired by the Hadwin team. You are now on. You are now on uh, retainer. I believe that is correct. No, I'm I'm only part <laughs> T. I, I really I, I really wasn't going to bring him up. Uh, in part in part knowing that he's still due for a win. My take doesn't change. I, I think you're going to see him win before say uh, June. I'll say June. July just sounds way too. It's like saying Adam Hadden will win again. So I, I, I want to give you a little. I think he's going to win in the next couple of months here. And and this is a good golf course for him. But his course history doesn't say he loves the place. Doesn't mean it's not a possibility. But hey, you may want to ride this one out because I know it's coming. At some, I know it's coming soon. 
I don't, I don't understand it. I'm going to move on from Adam Hadwin. Uh, see, uh, there is a guy you, you mentioned, um, like the popper ability, right? You know, like it's, I'd, I'd almost prefer a guy to, you're going to miss the cut or you're going to finish in the top 10. And for me, that's, that's Dylan Fratelli this week. He's $7,200 misses the cut at the masters finished. Um, I, I guess he finished technically ninth at the match play that's losing in the sweet 16. We saw him have a good run at the, at the player's championship. He's done that a couple of times recently and he finished eighth here last year, which is always exciting to me. Is there anybody else in this 7K range we need to touch on? Um, you know, Michael Thompson is, and, and I, I kind of agree with you. I think Fratelli has the upside there, but Michael Thompson is a guy that, I mean, first of all, I, he does have the track record here, which is great, but be, yeah. besides just the, just relying on the course history, I mean, he strikes the ball pretty well. I mean, he's and, and he's actually at a reasonable price in this field. It's still a good field, but I think you could very well have him at 7,500. And I don't think anybody would be like, oh, wow, he's so overpriced. So I think Michael Thompson is one of those reliable guys. He might lack a little bit of upside, but clearly he's flashed upside here before at the RBC heritage. So um, I think that's a pretty smart play. If you sort by just the last two years at the RBC heritage, Michael Thompson has gained uh, 2.08 strokes per round. It is seventh or so in this field and a third amongst the guys who have played it in both years, only Webb Simpson and JT Poston, another $7,000 guy have been better. So if you like just the two year sample size of guys that have played well at RBC heritage, those are some names that you might want to consider $6,000 range. This is where we got to dig deep, Greg. We got to dig real deep here. We've got Andrew Putnam, Benny on Doug M Luke list, Matthew Neesmith. They're at the top goes all the way down. This is my favorite part of the week. Let's see who's min priced Bryson Nimmer, uh, Bo Van Pelt, Luke Donald, and Tommy Gibson amongst others. Interesting. Well, I mean, if you're going to take a flyer on a, on a, uh, min price guy, you'd be crazy not to take Luke Donald. I mean, Luke Donald's made more money at this, of dollars at <laughs> yeah. this event. I mean, he's driving around in a Ferrari just from the, his paychecks at the RBC heritage. So he loves this place. He's performed really well there. It doesn't ask for too much distance as crazy as it sounds. I mean, you're taking a min, you're, you're going min price at this point. It's crazy, but this would be the place to do it. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm really surprised that he's mid price just because the course history is, is really, really good. I'll tell you why. I mean, it's because he's missed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine consecutive cuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I know, but I mean, you're on. right. Hang on he has literally here. made, he, he has a hall. He has like a hall of fame career, not a hall of fame career, but he has a career at this event alone. Yeah. Well, I, he's never won, but he has five seconds. He, he's made $3.8 million in this event. He did miss the cut last year. He was 32nd, 33rd the year before that. He missed the cut the year before that. But then he went second, tied second, tied 15th, second, yeah. third, tied 37th, second, third, second. I mean, it's 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 crazy. The guy contends all the time here. So if you're going to go mid-price, he would be my guy uh, in the mid-price range. But what do you guys think a little bit higher up than that, a little more realistic, a guy that you may actually expect – to get, uh, you know, maybe, maybe even contend, uh, Chase Seifert's a guy that I am Ooh. still interested in and he's only six, he's 6,500. And I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like he's getting gypped. I mean, you look at it, Valero, Texas open, he came in tied 44th. It wasn't great. It wasn't great, but Corrales Punta Cana resort and club championship gets mentioned every single podcast. Have to get it in there. Tied 18th. The Honda Classic tied third. The Puerto Rico Open tied 15th. I, I know that these aren't the greatest fields in the world. They're not the upper echelon. They're not world golf championships. But this is a guy that's playing some great golf. And it's a great price for him. I will say, first of all, uh, Corrales Punta Cana Resort and Club Championship, that they should send us on an all expenses paid trip there because we say their yes. names so often. I will say I was I, I remember I tried to figure out where I saw Chase Seifert's name and it's it's right here. So I'm running uh, so the last six years, Pete Dye designed courses and the top guys were Patrick Cantlay, Siwoo Kim and then Chase Seifert. And he's only played 15 rounds, Greg, but it is, it's a it's a. Good, uh, you know, Pete died track for him. He's played well at the American Express over the years. This isn't the craziest thing in the world, $6,700. 
No, yeah, sixty seven hundred. So at his price, you're looking at a guy who's fifty third strokes gained approach the green. That's really his. Um, it, it's his strength, and he hits six. He hits nearly sixty eight percent of his greens of regulation. So um, he does struggle around the greens and with putting, which gives me a little bit of pause. But I mean, we're talking. I, I think he could be worth a. I think he could be worth a flyer. And he wears a visor, which is always good to see. See him. I've got uh, a lot of names here in the $6,000 range that might move the needle, but who does it for you? Yeah, there's, I honestly think there's way, there's so many good names in this range, even in the, in the low 6k range, I think not for a single entry necessarily, but I think there's a lot of rosterable guys here just to name a few, uh, Doug Gim, Matthew Naismith, Stuart Sink, who was obviously playing pretty well, Kyle Stanley. Yeah. And then you can go even real low. Like Tom Hogue is 6,400. We know he flashes. Jason Duffner is 6,300, who happens to be pretty good on approach. Tyler Duncan, who is classically good off the tee and, and pretty good on approach. He's 6,100. So there's a lot of Wesley Bryan, who who typically, again, I say typically because he, these guys crash and burn too. That's why they're in the 6K range. But Wesley Bryan's 6,300. Bo Hogue. I mean, there's a lot of guys. Even, honestly, even Danny Lee at 6,200. I wouldn't be, if I was doing 150 lineups, for example, I wouldn't be afraid to put him in a couple. Stuart Singh's pretty interesting. I liked that name that you threw out. So he is second on tour in greens and regulation right now. It's 73% of them. He's much longer. Wow. Much longer than I would have given him credit for 305 yards. That's 29th on tour. Stuart Singh putting yeah, it out he, there. Earlier this year, he gained a lot of distance. He made a couple of changes and he picked up he he got his speed back basically, and that was right before he won earlier this year. What mm. he win the Safeway Open, I think it was. Correct, first event uh, of the year. So yeah, that's when that's when he kind of got his distance back. Finished nineteenth at the Hondas, twelfth at the Masters. Those were the last two times we saw him. Yeah, clearly, clearly in good form. I mean, you know, that that's nothing to just dismiss. And Stuart Sink, right. again, you know, he's he's been striking it well at sixty seven hundred. Again, the six K range is rich with a lot of guys that are actually good ball strikers and typically don't succeed on the longer courses. But on courses like this, um, they can be in the top 20. Uh, it wouldn't be a first cup pod if we didn't point out producer Jacobs, Rory Sabatini, who finished 30th at Valero the last time we saw him and has three consecutive top 25s at this event. And also, as far as we know, signed a lot of autographs for producer Jacob about uh, what did he say, Greg, 2006? Around yeah, I think I think that was the time frame, which is prime time Rory Sabatini. <laughs> If you're looking to acquire said Roy Sabatini autograph, producer Jacob will sell you one, two, or 10 for a low, low price. Uh, we talked before we went hot, Greg. I thought Brant Snedeker got into a conversation. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, you are. Brant Snedeker is kind of interesting. He has a he has a nice course history here, um, and he's been playing not terrible. There's been a couple of a, <laughs> not a couple terrible. Of nice events. Well, there was a while there where it was really, yeah, he was, was really it was bad. bad for him. Yeah. Um, which, which kind of concerns me, but I, I think Brant Snedeker is a, a viable option. Finished sixth at Valero, uh, which you're right. This The stretch of golf he had before that was absolutely brutal, but we saw him play well, as he tends to do at Torrey Pines. He makes the cut at API. That's difficult golf course. Finishes sixth at Valero. Things might yeah, be starting to head in the right direction for one Brant Snedeker. Sia, anybody else in the 6K range that we should be considering? Well, I will say about Rory Sabatini, again, if you go back to like January 1st, 2020, and you just run a Pete Dye filter. Now, like I should have qualified this. These are T to green numbers, not total strokes gain numbers. But uh, Rory Sabatini is pretty high up there. I mean, he's not in you know the top 10 or top 15, but he's it looks he looks to be somewhere in the top 20. So I like him. You know, we didn't mention and maybe I'll get um, your opinion, Rick, or, or yours, Greg. We didn't mention Luke List. Uh, any any love for Luke List? He's 6,900, I believe. And I mean, he has the talent certainly to succeed in this field. I'm not as excited about like I, I get either. Luke List. Um, I get it. I think that he has historically been a guy who is a good ball striker, terrible putter, team no putt, all that stuff. He's got a third place finish at this event in the last handful of years. He's actually coming off a pretty good result at Valero, but uh, the longer term window for me is not as exciting for Luke List. He needs wide open. He does great at wide open venues. The... I guarantee we will hear it's I'm pretty sure I've got the right guy. If you want to play a drinking game this week, take a sip. Every time uh, they mentioned Matthew Neesmith proposed to his then girlfriend on the 18th green here at Harbortown. 
I'm pretty sure that's the guy. Do you remember this? Am I making this up? I think it's somebody else because I, I know this story, but I don't think it's Matthew Neesmith. Really? Who, who by the way, uh, in the last 36 rounds, uh, rates out fourth on my model on approach. So Yeah, he's, he's a great solid ball player. He is. Um, gentlemen, anybody? I mean, do we need to oh, talk it, about I mean, oh, oh, go ahead. It was Naismith, apparently. Sorry. I'll just go yes. away now. <laughs> I was nervous that it wasn't because I've been like saying that for like five years that like he proposed to his girlfriend on whatever 18th green. Um, okay. As far as roster construction goes this week, the, the 10K range with uh, DJ Cantlay, Webb, there's, I mean, Smith is in there. Greg, I, I, I'll get to you first because I know C has already started making lineups. Um, I don't, I feel, I feel like I love the nine K range. I could potentially try to load up there instead of trying to take a guy in the 10 K, but I'm not, I I have a lot of questions about the 10 K guys. So I don't hate that play at all. See, you've probably built 40 lineups by now. What do you think? Yeah, let's cause some contro- <laughs> let's let's cause some controversy because I do hate it. I, I this is the first time you guys know I'm a huge advocate of saying, hey, you can start in the 9K range. It's it's borderline disparaging to the 10K range every time we do a show. But I, I, I'm not saying your take is bad. What I am saying is this is the first time that I'm starting to build with two guys in the 10K range because I like them so much. And what that forces me to do is skip over the 9K range and most of the 8K range and just hit the, that 7K range really hard. And some oh of the boy. some of the high six K range is in play here too. All right. Well, I've got some work to do building lineups, trying to figure all this stuff out. But for now, let me thank producer Jacob for all the hard work behind the scenes. Let me thank Greg Ducharme who uh, could not wait till the end of the show to leave. No, I think he had a computer issue. So Greg, thank you very much. You can follow Greg on Twitter at the real GFD. You can follow Sia Najad on Twitter at Sia Najad. That's an easy one. And you can follow me at Rick run. Good. This has been the first cut and we'll catch you next time. Baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.